0: This survey is just, wow, it just hits you in the gut. 30% of women, one third of women would give up at least one year of their life to achieve their ideal body weight and shape. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 204. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome veggie lovers to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. So today I bring you part two of an episode that I first recorded about a month ago called Weight Stigma is Deadly. So this is part two of that episode. And if you have already listened to that episode, you may recall that I created this for an organization that wanted to know more about weight stigma, weight bias, fat phobia, and it's so much information that I had to split up Into two episodes. If you haven't already listened to episode 200, go back and listen to it because it's very important to set the foundation. In that episode, I talk about different terms. I describe different terms like BMI, body mass index, define obesity, what it means medically, weight stigma, medical weight bias internalized weight bias, thin privilege. And I explain how weight stigma and discrimination actually affect body size. I also gave you eight things that you can start doing right away as an individual to combat weight stigma. So Go back and listen to that episode. I think it's a really great episode and it sets the foundation for understanding all of these concepts. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the current reality of body size in the United States of America, what our cultural ideal is, why weight loss is so sexy to us, but why we are the the size we are. And I'm just going to briefly touch on this because this is a very complex topic. I define healthism, health at every size, and how well being can be used as a focus instead of body size, to get us to where we wanna be. I'm also going to end with six things you can start doing today if you are struggling with your body size. I know that affects a lot of us. Okay, but before I get into this episode, I have a couple of exciting announcements. Okay, the first one is, I'm going to start promoting affiliate relationships and podcast sponsors. And I know I've done it here and there in the past, but my heart's never really been in it. And it really just took me a time, took me time to evolve to the point where I feel ready and I feel invested and I feel like it's authentic and right. Okay. So I'm going all in on this and I hope that you are willing to come along with me. So remember that on this platform that you're listening to, Podcasts are free and they're available for anybody to listen to. If you're a person that you just detest ads, you don't wanna hear ads, just give me the information, Dr. Yami, guess what? I have created an option for you. So I have created a subscription to my podcast called The Plant Plantscription. Get it? It's kinda like a prescription, but for plants, The Plant scription. And it's through a platform called Substack. But it's not just going to be ad-free episodes of my podcast. You're going to also get a monthly live Q&A with me every single month. Monthly live book club! Honestly, that is the part that I am most excited about because I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And I thought, this is the best place to do it, a monthly book club. Initially, I'll pick the book. But then after that, I'll probably let subscribers give me suggestions on what they want to read next. Writings and musings only available to paid subscribers and free giveaways from time to time. The plant scription. It's going to be so fun. And guess what? You're not going to believe this. So you're going to get the ad-free every single episode of Veggie Doctor Radio ad-free, the monthly Q&A, the monthly book club, giveaways. And of course, lots of fun for just $5 a month. Okay, like literally that is ridiculously cheap. It's a no brainer. If you are a super fan of Veggie Doctor Radio, I hope you're going to join me inside the plant Plantscription because it is going to be a party. You are my people. We're gonna hang out. We're gonna have fun. To sign up for the Plantscription, you can go to the show notes, or if you are good at remembering things from audio, it's plantscription.substack.com. So plant, P-L-A-N-T-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N, like prescription, but plant, plantscription.substack.com or just go to the show notes, click on the link, sign up. There is a free version, which you won't get very much, but then you can pay $5 a month or $50 a year, which is even more savings to be inside the Planscription. If you join now at this $5 a month level, it's locked in for the lifetime of your subscription. You will never have to pay more. And I plan to grow this into a full force, high value membership eventually. It's gonna take some time, we'll get there, but honestly, live Q&A, live monthly book club and the ad-free episodes, I mean, that's a great deal, $5 a month, so join me inside the planscription. And then my other announcement is that I will also be taking more coaching clients. So my one-on-one coaching time is filling up very quickly. Thank you all of you that have signed up for discovery calls. Y'all are amazing. I am so excited to be working with all of these beautiful people that have big goals and visions in their life. So, so exciting. If you are on the fence about wanting or feeling like you're not sure if you need one-on-one coaching, but you know you need to do something, sign up for a free discovery call. It's free, 15 minutes. We can talk together about what you need, what you're struggling with. And I'll tell you what I do as a coach and if it makes sense to work together. To do that, go to dryami.com forward slash coach me. So dot com forward slash c o a c h. M E. Okay. dryavi.com forward slash coach me. Before we move on, I want to give a couple of shout outs. Thank you so much to Brianna Torres, who was the very first subscriber to the Planscription. I literally just opened this and announced this yesterday. And within a few minutes, Brianna was on board. Thank you, Brianna. I so appreciate you. And I want to give a shout out to my beautiful friend, Kate Gottlieb, who actually signed up as a founding member. So there's another level that you can pay a little bit more and show a little bit more support. And she did that and what generosity. I love you so much. Thank you so much for doing that. Anybody that signs up as a founding member of the Planscription gets a shout out. So I love you all. Thank you. And I'm so, so, so excited to go on this journey with you and grow this community into something truly amazing. Okay, enough about that. let's talk about body size. But before I start talking specifics, I do want to give a trigger warning because I am going to be talking about body size. I am going to be using specific BMI numbers and talking about eating disorders and things like this. So if this is triggering to you, please be conscious of this, be aware and consider not listening if you don't think it's right for you at this time. I also wanna give a disclaimer. I am not a specialist in eating disorders. As I said in the previous episode, I am not a fat activist or fat liberationist. So I don't know everything there is to know on this topic. I am still learning along with you together and I'm doing the best I can. So let's do this together and let's learn how to help ourselves and help other people around us so that we can all reach the well-being that we desire. So let me set the stage of where we are currently in the United States. 40% of the population has a BMI greater than 30. In the previous episode, episode 200, I talked about what a BMI is and how obesity is defined. And we talked about how it's in some ways arbitrary. I'm not going to define this as obesity, I'm just going to give you numbers so that you understand what the bell curve looks like currently in our country. 40%, almost half of the population has a BMI greater than 30. And the majority, 74%, almost three quarters, has a BMI greater than 25. Over 25, is considered overweight, over 30, is considered obesity. Remember that these are medical definitions. We don't have to subscribe to them, but I'm just telling you what what we are here in the United States. The average adult female in the U.S. currently has a body mass index of 27. However, 80% of Americans are dissatisfied with their weight. Half of the U.S. population has tried to lose weight in the past 12 months women slightly more than men 56% versus 42% but it doesn't matter because there's plenty of men and and you know I always wonder too how many people aren't really being honest or saying what they're trying to do you know so it's still something that I think talking about body size and all of that might be a little bit different for men and how they approach it and how they discuss it and how eating disorders and disordered eating presents itself in men. But the truth is, is that it is there. It's almost the same between men and women. And of course, there's even studies being done on people that have gender dysphoria or that subscribe to different genders or non-binary. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you see yourself as a man or woman, neither. We all struggle with this. We are all having problems with how we see ourselves, our satisfaction with our body size and our weight. Okay. So it's very, very common. Like I said, the average adult female in the U.S. is around 27. But the average BMI of a runway model, even now, even still today, is 16. one six, 16. And you may remember from the previous episode that I said that that's not too far from where it's incompatible with life. So when you get to around 13, 14 BMI, You don't even have enough body mass, enough body weight to sustain life. So that's quite low. So we're seeing these fashion models promote and show these, this beautiful clothing. And and this is kind of where part of our ideal is coming from is fashion models what's clothes supposed to look like on our bodies, it looks very different on a person that has a BMI of 16 versus a person that has a BMI of 27, okay? So it's funny because our reality is, this is the size we are, but our ideal is this is the size we wanna be. And there is a huge gap there. There There's a huge level of unsustainability and just distorted reality, basically, because most people are not going to have naturally that type of body. There are some people that do naturally have that type of body, but as we can see, the majority of us do not. Okay, so let's talk about dieting because the number one thing that people wanna do when they are dissatisfied with their weight is go on a diet or restrict themselves or lose weight somehow, but dieting is one of the, one of the ways, right? So studies show that one-third to two-thirds of weight is regained within one year, and the majority within five years for most people that have lost weight. So for the majority of people that try to go on a diet, change how they're eating, what they're eating, whatever, within five years, it's it's back to where their baseline, where they were. And one third to two thirds of dieters actually regain more weight than they lost. Even for weight loss surgery, weight loss peaks at one year, and then it starts to turn around and go back up again. But you know what the most shocking thing that I learned was? When it comes to future weight gain, so if We were to try to look for things that predicted what people are going to gain weight in the future. Like, let's say it's going to be environment or, you know, like what kind of diet they're eating or their stress or their sleep. No, the number one predictor of whether you're going to gain weight in the future is dieting. It's dieting. The more we diet, the more we gain weight. But in addition to that, I mean, whatever, we're talking about body size and, and trying to decrease stigma around body size. So let's take the focus off of body size. It's not just about that. 30% of people that go on a calorie-restricted diet are going to develop disordered eating. 25% of those are going to go on to develop full-blown, clinically-diagnosed eating disorders. And what's just so sobering and just really sad for me is how it's affecting our youth. So, 81% of 10 year old girls are afraid of being fat. 46% of 9 to 11 year olds are sometimes or often dieting. 35 to 57% of adolescent girls engage in harmful weight reduction strategies such as fasting, pills, laxatives, vomiting, or crash diets. Okay, so look at this whole generation of people that are so worried because we have stigmatized weight so much. They're not even in junior high yet. They're already starting to try to manipulate their body weight, often in ways that Are even more harmful to them. And I'm not even saying that they should try to lose weight at all. So I think that even any attempt to lose weight when you're a kid can be harmful, but then they're doing things that could harm them more physically in other ways, like using laxatives and vomiting. So these are all things that can really cause harm to your body. 9% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder at some point, but get this, Less than 6% of people with eating disorders are classified as underweight. Episode 203 with Una Hansen is really good if you want to learn more about myths surrounding eating disorders. She is a coach for parents who want to learn how to raise their kids without diet culture, but she has experienced disordered eating, eating disorders within her own family, and she also helps families and parents with that as well. So this is a big myth is that you have to look, you know, like malnourished and barely able to hold yourself up to have an eating disorder, but there's so many people walking around with eating disorders that don't look like this stereotypical picture that we have of somebody with an eating disorder, only 6% of people with eating disorders are classified as underweight. And then at the end of the day, eating disorders are the deadliest mental illness. Among all mental illnesses, eating disorders are the deadliest. 26% of people with eating disorders will attempt suicide. A quarter, a quarter. So This is what's happening when we have this reality versus this unrealistic ideal. And when we keep telling people that you can only be healthy if you're a certain size, if your BMI is below a certain number, if, you know, I've even seen experts say you can't be too thin. So when we're promoting this thin ideal, when we're promoting body size as the focus, this is what starts to happen. And this is why I am so passionate not just because I'm a pediatrician and because I take care of the most beautiful, amazing children, but because I know what it feels like because I lived it, because I started dieting when I was around the same age, eight or nine years old. But why? Why do we keep doing this? We keep doing it because weight loss is sexy. In the human social structure, Appearance is social currency. We are social creatures. We want to be part of the tribe. We want to be accepted. Because of our conditioning, we believe our worth is increased if we're at this ideal size. And we have such a strong belief about this that we believe that losing weight will lead to total happiness and this fairy tale life. I know because. I have gone back and forth between this fantasy my entire life. And I know what that feels like, like that feeling of like, okay, oh, if I could just be a size, whatever, if I could just lose whatever number of weight, everything's going to be good. I'm going to have the friends I want. I'm going to have, you know, the life I want, the career I want, like even the money I want, you know, like this whole dream of my life is going to be better. So yeah, people are willing to do almost anything to be at that size. And remember in the last episode, that part one to uh, episode 200, I talked about thin privilege and thin privilege is real. I recently interviewed a, another expert, Susan Pierce Thompson on the podcast. This episode's coming out later. But when we talked about thin privilege, her opinion was that of all the privileges, thin privilege is probably the biggest one. It's the one that's just, it's so strong, yet we don't see it, right? Because privilege is usually invisible. We don't realize it's there, but it's there. It's so, so strong that having that thin privilege just elevates, seems to elevate your status. And so that's what we're after. So let's talk about how important this is to people, what people are willing to sacrifice to be a certain size. So this is research out of the UK, lots of similarities this westernized world, thin ideal, lots of similarities there. So I think we can compare UK to US. But this survey was, it's just, wow, it just hits you in the gut. 30% of women, one third of women would give up at least one year of their life to achieve their ideal body weight and shape. You'd die a whole year earlier. Uh, it almost makes me nauseated just thinking about that, saying like, okay, let me, let me pay you with one year of my life so that I can be thinner. 2% would trade six to 10 years of their life and 1%, one in every 100 people that they surveyed would give up 21 plus years of their life to be at their ideal shape. This is why weight loss is so important to so many people. So I want us all to empathize with that, that y'all, this is a real thing. And the more we promote it, the more we engage in weight bias and size discrimination, the more we are going to sustain this extreme yearning to be a certain size. Okay, in this same survey, 80% of women said they would like to lose weight 7% would sacrifice their health, like the irony there, like it's just like an oxymoron. I want to lose weight, but I don't care if it affects my health. 16% said that they would be willing to sacrifice time with their partner, family, or friends to achieve their ideal body size. So I am going to decrease my opportunity for connections with other people that I love so that I could be the size and shape I want. Because in my head, this fantasy is telling me that my life is going to be better if I'm a certain size or shape. This is the reality. And I know a lot of you out there listening have felt like this before because I have too. And I know how difficult it is in our society, okay? The global weight loss industry is estimated to be worth four hundred and thirty-nine. Billion dollars. It's a great place to make money because look at this. If people are willing to sacrifice their lifespan, their health, time with loved ones, and even go into the money thing because people obviously are willing to spend a lot of money, right? That's like a given. That's something that is an easy exchange of value. Then yeah, you you can make a lot of money in the global weight loss industry and. Y'all know me, you know my personality type. I really don't believe that there's a bunch of evil people out there saying like, oh, okay, let me make a bunch of money by doing this. Yeah, there's some people out there that are unethical. I agree. But I do think a lot of people out there, whether it's personal trainers, uh, you know, nutritionists, whatever, that are promoting weight loss, they are doing it because they themselves are biased They probably have internalized bias themselves. They probably struggle with their eating. And being in this work, uh, you know, this area of work and doing this work for your life and for your career is one way to ensure that you can always, quote, control your eating. But I don't think that they inherently are trying to hurt people. I really do think that we're all trying to do the best we can with what we have, with with our knowledge, with our biases, whatever we have inside us to help other people, because we've seen how happy people get when they lose weight and they gain some of that social currency. And they're like, yay, I did it. I'm so proud of myself because I did this thing that elevates my status, you know? So just know that this is really complicated and it's easy to just shake our finger and blame one thing, but this is very complex. It's got so many layers. The more we can understand it and the more we can rise above it and say, okay, where do we want to be as a society? Where do we want to be as parents, as individuals? How do we want to talk about these issues with our children so that maybe they can escape the decades of yo-yo dieting and body hatred that we've gone through. Okay. This is, this is my aim is to just convey that this is complicated, that I don't think that there's any evil people in this. Everybody's trying to do the best they can, but that we can take a step back from the situation, look at it from a high level and say, this isn't the way we want to go on. I don't want to go on with people throwing up and taking pills in order to be a certain size or shape, and not caring about their health to be that size, okay? So let's let's see what we can do together as individuals, as parents, as professionals to try to change this paradigm. Y'all, I am obsessed with this clothing brand called Oofere. I initially saw Tabitha Brown wearing one of their bathing suits on Instagram, and I immediately went to the website and bought myself one. Now I have three of their pieces, actually five technically, considering that I have the cover up for the bathing suit and also the head wrap, and I have two infinity dresses their clothing is amazing so they're actually an award-winning african fashion brand featuring beautiful pieces with vibrant prints and bold patterns but they make you feel like royalty i wore one of the infinity dresses for my friend's wedding and i got compliments all night long but i felt so confident and i just felt so beautiful wearing it i don't know if you've ever worn an infinity dress. I have never even heard of an infinity dress before, but basically it's a dress that you can style in lots of different ways. So it's like having a hundred dresses in one. You can change it according to your mood or what part of your body you want to show off, but the bottom line is you're going to feel amazing. So if you want to check out their pieces, it's Oofure, O-F-U-U-R-E, but I have a special code so that you can get 10% off of your first order, oofure.com forward slash Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I. Okay, so oofure is O-F-U-U-R-E.com forward slash Dr. Yami. Also, if you go to dryami.com forward slash shop, you can get to the link right there or check out the show notes. I promise you are not going to regret checking out this clothing brand, especially if you love looking like a queen. So the next place I want to go is the complexity of body size. Okay. So we're talking, we've already talked about the complexity of our social minds, of our psychology around body size and weight. And that was barely scratching the surface because there was more there. But what determines the size of our body? A lot. Genetics. And that's not just genotype, but phenotype prenatal exposures, food scarcity, trauma, learned coping mechanisms, environmental exposures, toxins and medications, viruses, chronic health conditions, your gut microbiome, your lifestyle habits, and your social influences. Those are all categories of things that can affect your body weight. But what do you think is the strongest component of all of those when it comes to what size and shape your body is going to be, what do you think is the strongest? Genetics. The genetic influence over body size is much larger than you think. They did this really interesting study in mice. And I I know I hate to bring up animal studies. I'm vegan for all my vegans out there, but it's a fascinating study. They did it. And they found that there are 6,000 genes that influence body size. And there was a greater percentage of these genes that led to larger body rather than smaller body. So it was really interesting what they did. They created what they call knockout mice, which basically they take these genes and they take them out. They knock out the gene and then they see what happens to this mouse, okay? And what body size they have. So there were more genes that when they knocked out the gene, the mouse was smaller, okay? So that means that that gene was coding for things that made the mouse bigger, whether it was fat or size or whatever, whatever component that made this mouse a larger mouse, more of those genes that they knocked out actually made the mouse smaller rather than bigger. So that means that we have likely, you know, this is a mouse, right, not a human. But it's a model for saying that there's a lot of genes in our bodies that over time have been selected for because they help us survive survival. 8 billion people on this planet, okay? So we are masters of survival. We are masters of survival because even through times of scarcity, we can keep enough fat on our bodies to make it through to when we get more food, okay? This is why our bodies work the way they do. Larger bodies are selected for. It's an advantage in survival. Also, when it comes to heritability, meaning the genes that you inherit from your parents, the heritability of larger body size is somewhere between 40 and 70%. But I want you to remember that when we talk about genes, it's, it's very complex. It's not just like this gene saying, okay, you're gonna be this size because your metabolism's gonna work a certain way or you're gonna absorb or whatever. It also affects our regulation of food intake. So it may affect how excited you are about food or how easy it is for you to overeat or how attractive it is for you to overeat. So, um, And what's interesting is I've had, I love all this stuff and I had my genes analyzed first through Ancestry.com just because I wanted to know my breakdown, which was fascinating. Another podcast episode of that. But then I had another company take that and look at other like health marker stuff. And from the analysis that they did, they were able to predict that I was likely to be an emotional eater, an overeater, and be of larger body size, like more than the average BMI, right? Or what I guess is supposed to be like the ideal BMI. I don't know what genes they were looking for there, and I could probably look into it and see, but from that, they were able to predict some realities in my life that, yeah, emotional eating is a thing. That is my favorite way to cope with negative emotions. (laughs) And thankfully, I've learned how to manage my thoughts and feelings so that that's not what I do most of the time. But yeah, for many years, that's what I I did because that was an easy thing for my brain and my body to be like, okay, this is how I soothe myself is through food. Genes can also control how our metabolism works, like thermogenesis and the regulation of fat storage. So not everybody's body is going to work exactly the same, and there can be little differences that can lead to differences in body size. Identical twins that are raised in separate households tend to have very similar body weights. And what's interesting is that between two individuals, genetics accounts for 80% of the difference in their body size. So say me and my best friend were you know, 30 pounds difference, we live in different houses, we do different things, whatever, but when it comes to explaining the difference in our the size of our bodies, it can account for up to 80% of the difference in our body size. Obviously, there's other things too, right? But this is very, very complex. The regulation of energy balance is complex, the hormones, enzymes, our brain, psychology, different habits and behaviors we have. But all of this to say is that, you know, we're, we're trying to control and affect and change body size, thinking that it's the simple thing. But for so many of us, for all of us, genetics is such a strong component, which can determine if you're going to be a leaner person in your life, or you're going to be a larger bodied person in your life, especially because we're all immersed in the same environment, right? Like we all have the fast food restaurants and all of this hypercaloric food everywhere. So I, I want you to remember that. The other thing that I want to emphasize is that the body is meant to adapt. And this is especially important to discuss with children. When they're small, we're fascinated by it, right? Wow. Little babies, they triple their body weight in a year. It's amazing. And they grow so fast. We change with age, with development, but we're also going to adapt to food availability. We're going to adapt to changes in our hormones over time. We talk about this with women, that their hormones are going to change. You're going through perimenopause, then menopause. It's, you know, it changes. But for kids, that time of puberty, they can have some big changes. And when they're immersed in this diet culture, in this thin ideal, it's really difficult for them. So we have to make sure that we tell our kids the body is meant to change, the body is meant to adapt. Think about one of the times that's just like this huge Period of change, pregnancy. I mean, imagine that. You're like growing a whole nother human inside your body. You have to put on fat. You have everything has to change. Your hormones change during that time to sustain this other human being. We're not meant to just be the same all the time. It's a system that is set up for flexibility, for adaptation, because we are survivors. We are adaptable creatures. We can live in so many different environments and do so many different things. So the body is meant to adapt. I talked earlier about how dieting can be or is the strongest predictor of weight gain. But I wanted to bring up something that's super interesting and very important to understand. So there's something called food insecurity and food insecurity is defined as quote, having inadequate access to sufficient, safe and nutritious food to meet dietary needs and food preferences for an active and healthy lifestyle. So what's interesting about food insecurity, because you're thinking of like, okay, people that have food insecurity, they don't have food sometimes, sometimes, you know, there's not enough money to buy food. And it might be a few days before they have more money to buy more food, or they live in a neighborhood where access is difficult. They may not have transportation. They may not have the mode to get this food. So in your head, you might think, okay, less food, less calories, but really food insecurity and larger body size often coexist in what seems like a paradoxical relationship. And this is especially true for children and adolescents. The odds of having a child with a high body weight are five times higher for children from food insecure households than from food secure households. These children also show more eating, past satiation, so more overeating, eating in the absence of hunger, and Mothers from food insecure households expressed greater concerns for their children's weight and exhibited restricted feeding practices. These children snacked more than children from food secure households and adults experiencing food insecurity exhibit more binging behaviors. Isn't that fascinating and super sad? So basically, these poor kids are living in houses where you may not have food very often or food is inconsistent. Sometimes you have food, sometimes you don't have food. They have a higher body weight, so they're being exposed to this weight bias, weight discrimination. Their mothers probably are also. Their mothers may be single mothers. But then, because they have a higher body weight, their moms are panicking because their moms know, I've been you know, affected by my weight. I don't want my child to go through that. So now the mom's panicking and anxious and trying to restrict the food intake from this child that has inconsistent access to food, which is double food scarcity. So what I'm trying to say is that whenever people are in food insecurity situations, they are exposed to cycles of food deprivation, which may lead to, having an increased focus on food and overeating when they do have access to food. There might also be high levels of stress, anxiety, and depression, which may increase consumption of energy-dense foods. So this is just an example of how restriction can lead to higher body weight because the times that you don't have food, you're suffering from that restriction, which leads to times of access to overeating and feeling desperate around food. Like you, you don't know when you're gonna get food again. And I think that this is a normal human response to deprivation, whether it's externally placed upon you, especially for a child like this that has no control over where their food is coming from. So this is externally placed food scarcity or whether it's self-induced in the case of dieting. So this is kind of a real life example of how that can affect the size of your body. And food insecurity, unfortunately, affects a lot of people and a lot of children. And we have to be aware of that. And instead of trying to control people's body size, why don't we do things to help increase access to food? Consistent, nourishing, high quality food for people that are facing food insecurity. And that people that are self-imposing restriction upon themselves, food scarcity upon themselves, to stop doing that because it's leading to these cycles of restrict binge, restrict binge. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before I'm lazy so I don't want to have to use any mental energy that I don't need to and they send you seed quilts every month so you don't run out you can change what seed quilts you want to try so here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have hearty broccoli refreshing cabbage energizing kale spicy daikon radish super salad mix you can even get wheatgrass you can get culinary cilantro or even hot with mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests, but like I said, it's going to be low Energy cost on your part, and it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions, and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you want to give it a try, you've been curious about my microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing! I've talked about health at every size before, but I just want to talk about it again here. Health at every size, how I define it in one sentence, is the potential that an individual has to affect their well-being through habits, behaviors, changes in their environment, and access to care regardless or independent of weight or body size. At its core, Health at Every Size, also known as Haze, is a social justice movement that seeks to improve the health of people while taking the emphasis off of weight. So remember, this is a social justice movement that realizes that weight bias and weight discrimination, fat phobia are really big problems that are affecting people, their health, and their well-being. It is composed of five different principles. The first one is weight inclusivity, and I'm taking this straight off their website. Weight inclusivity means to accept and respect the inherent diversity of body shapes and sizes and reject the idealizing or pathologizing of specific weights. Two, health enhancement. Support health policies that improve and equalize access to formation, information, and services, and personal practices that improve human well-being, including attention to individual physical, economic, social, spiritual, emotional, and other needs. Number three is respectful care. Acknowledge our biases and work to end weight discrimination, weight stigma, and weight bias. Provide information and services from an understanding that socioeconomic status, race, gender, sexual orientation, age, and other identities impact weight stigma and support environments that address these inequalities. Number four is eating for well-being. So to promote flexible, individualized eating based on hunger, satiety, nutritional needs, and pleasure, rather than any externally regulated eating plan focused on weight control. And number five is life-enhancing movement. Support physical activities that allow people of all sizes, abilities, and interests to engage in enjoyable movement to the degree that they choose. So these are the principles. I have episodes that I talk about intuitive eating if you're interested in checking those out. What's really important to know is that it is possible. It is possible to take the emphasis off of weight and help people feel better, reach the well-being that they desire because they've done studies. So hey, studies have found that when these principles are applied, it leads to improvements in physiological measures such as blood pressure, cholesterol, and health behaviors such as food choices and physical activity, and also. Psychosocial outcomes such as self esteem and body image, which is huge. Our mental health is very, very important. As I was telling you earlier, when it comes to this disordered eating and eating disorders, 26% of people with eating disorders are going to attempt suicide. That is not a great place to be in your life. That is not well being. So, this is a different approach. Hays can achieve the health outcomes more successfully than weight loss treatment and without the contraindication of having weight loss as a focus. As I've said before, for any of us that are going to be out there prescribing or promoting intentional weight loss, it must come with informed consent. If you're going to do this for other people and you're going to recommend it for other people, it must include informed consent. These are the risks of pursuing intentional weight loss. I think that's the most ethical way to approach it. And then people can decide for themselves because those over the age of 18 are adults. Children are not adults. And I really don't think that we should be putting them on diets. That's my opinion. So the argument that comes up is, yeah, but people that are fat or people that are in larger bodies are not healthy. They're draining our healthcare system. Okay, I hear this one a lot. So I want to talk about healthism. Healthism is the, quote, preoccupation with personal health as a primary focus for the definition and achievement of well-being a goal which is to be attained primarily through the modification of lifestyles. And this is by Lucy Afremor, who is a PhD and registered dietitian. So basically healthism equates health with worth and believes that if you are unhealthy, it is your fault and your responsibility. From the Well Now program, which is also from Lucy Afremor, there's four principles that sum up healthism. One, that healthism is the belief That sees health as the property and responsibility of the individual and ranks the personal pursuit of health above anything else. Number two, ignores the impact of poverty, oppression, war, violence, luck, historical atrocities, abuse, and the environment, which includes pollution, clean water, access, all of those things. Number three, protects the status quo, leads to victim blaming and privilege, increases health inequalities, and fosters internalized oppression. And number four, it judges people's worth according to their health. Health is multifactorial. Body size is just one factor and may not even be the most important factor in somebody's health, their health status. Healthism is just another thing to keep in mind when we are thinking about these topics as healthcare providers, as parents, as friends and family. We need to be aware of when we are being healthist and when we are trying to put our own biases and beliefs on somebody else. It's also important to remember social determinants of health, which is conditions in the places where people live, learn, work and play that affect a wide range of health and quality of life risks and outcomes. So this includes things like healthcare access and quality, education access and quality, social and community context, economic stability and neighborhood and built environment. So what that means is that every individual has their own set of circumstances that affect the choices that they even know to make or can make, right? So we can't just go around blaming everybody for their health or their size or their weight because it's it's really not fair and it's not the right thing to do. Social determinants of health remind us that health is multifactorial and there are many things that are not under individual control, especially for marginalized populations. And so as I finish up, I want to remind us, everybody here, that in medicine and science, we are directed by the questions that we ask, and we don't always even know to ask different questions or the right questions. So while weight may be associated with many chronic health conditions, the causation is less clear. There are also studies that show improvement in health markers before any significant weight loss occurs. So instead of asking how we lose weight what are diseases associated with weight we could ask is weight loss necessary for well-being how can we improve or acquire well-being without focusing on weight and that's what i am trying to push for is taking our focus off of weight and instead onto well-being so well-being is defined As a sense of health and vitality that arises from your thoughts, emotions, actions, and experiences. And this definition is from, I think it's pronounced Cheeky Davis, who is a PhD. So it includes these different components, self-perceived health, longevity, healthy behaviors, mental and physical illness, social connectedness, productivity, and factors in the physical and social environment. So as you can see, in all of those factors included in the definition of well-being, the size of your body is not not one of them. Okay. So there's other things that you can do right now without manipulating or focusing on the size of your body that can increase, improve, sustain your well being. Weight neutral approaches center on well being and allow the body to adapt to habits and behaviors. When you pursue a change in your habits and behaviors, body weight may or may not change. That's okay, that's not the focus. The focus is how can I feel better? How can I do the things I wanna do and spend time with who I wanna be with and live a long, healthy life that I want to live? And hopefully eventually we won't be wanting to trade years of our life to be a certain size. I hope we can get there eventually as a society. So let me end with six things that you can start doing today if you are struggling with your body size. I've started working with one-on-one clients again. So we're having a lot of these conversations. I, I feel you because I've been there before. And one of them is a very common thing I've heard over and over again is I just don't feel comfortable in my body. I feel like I would be more comfortable if I lost weight. And really, when it comes to these things, a feeling is something that's coming from your brain, right? And it's very affected by our biases and by all of the messaging that we're getting from our society, okay? So these are some things that you can start, and I just wanna emphasize progress over perfection. Just know that what's most important is just to do your best every day and know that body image, The way that we feel, our emotions, it's a wave. So there's gonna be ups and downs. It's never just gonna be all up and perfect, okay? So that's also a fairy tale that we wanna believe is that we should be happy and feel perfect all the time, which is not reality. So here are six things you can do today or start doing today if you are struggling with your body size. Number one, accept your body the way it is right now. Note that I did not say like your body or love your body So it does not require that just to accept it, accept the way it is right now, because that's really all you can do at this moment, right? You're not going to be able to use a magic wand and change anything immediately. So the first thing is acceptance. Okay, this is my body. This is how I am right now in this moment. The second one is a little different from it, but it's a step further. Give yourself permission to be the size that you are. Number one, accept your body the way it is right now. Number two, give yourself permission to be the size that you are. I think that one's important because I know throughout my life, even if I've accepted it, I've been like, okay, but we're gonna change, we're gonna change, we're gonna change, we're gonna change. (laughs) And this is not right, this is not good. You know, And just really putting a lot of self-loathing and uh, just always trying to make a plan for how to change and how to be different. Give yourself permission give yourself permission to take up space, give yourself permission to be you, embody you and who you are right now. Number three, and this is especially important for those of us that keep saying over and over again, I'm just not comfortable right now. I'm just not comfortable. I'm not comfortable in my skin. Buy clothes that fit. Be comfortable. Dress how you want to dress. Put on what you want to put on. And I know this has happened to me too in that you have these plans to lose weight and you wanna lose weight so you never buy things that fit you. You're always putting off, buying the clothes you like, buying the things that fit for when you lose weight, okay? That you're just perpetually uncomfortable. Things may fit for a little while, then they don't fit, but most of the time, it doesn't feel good. So to start feeling good right now, to start having the mental emotional capacity to free up some of that space in your brain that's being occupied by I'm not comfortable. (laughs) Be comfortable. Find things that fit and find things that you want to wear. Number four, start practicing sustainable habits and behaviors that feel good to your body and support your physical and mental well-being. So this is going to include some of those principles that we talked about in the Hayes Principles. Joyful movement. Find ways to move your body, whether it's dancing, walking, whatever it is, whatever you want to do. Uh, Find a sport that you want to play with a friend. Sleeping. Make sure that you're getting sufficient sleep. Honor your body's need and honor your body's desire to rest. Get your rest in and eat nourishing food. If you have been one of those people that you did not grow up eating vegetables, Start trying new vegetables. Don't force yourself. Don't say that you're a bad person if you don't eat it, but try. Experiment. Be curious. See how different foods feel, how they land in your body, the energy they give you, how you sleep better. Start observing those things. You find the system that works for you. Number five, focus on consistency rather than perfection. Okay. You start one step at a time. Don't Think you have to do everything overnight and change everything overnight, but start one habit, try to get consistent with it. Even if it's not perfect, if you're consistent with it 75% of the time for two months, it's better than being perfect for a week and not doing it for the rest of that time, right? So aim for consistency, get to a level of consistency with your habits before you add more on. Because that's going to give you more results. It's going to give you better results in your well-being. And the last one is stay away from weight-biased people and messaging. This is the hardest one. And I talked about it in episode 200 as well. Things that you can start doing with your social media, or even if you need to take a social media break, unsubscribe from the magazines that are talking about diets, redirect conversations, fat talk among your friends. Even maybe don't hang out with the friends that just are constantly wanting to diet or they can't get off of that paradigm or off of that yo yo dieting roller coaster because it's gonna affect you too. I mean, we're so surrounded by this that the closer you have it to you, the more you're constantly going to wanna hop back on the dieting roller coaster and do it again and get back in the cycle. So the sooner you can step off of that, ride and start your new lifestyle, the better. So those are six things that you can start doing today. I hope that you enjoyed this presentation. I will be linking references that I used to the show notes. So if there's any of these studies that you want to look up yourself, they will be hyperlinked. And then for those of you that are interested in joining the plant our first Book Club is going to be Why Diets Make Us Fat by Sandra Amott. And the first monthly Q&A is going to be on May the 5th. So if you're interested in this topic and you wanna talk more about it and talk more about why dieting is the strongest predictor of weight gain, join me inside the PlanScription. only $5 a month. Thanks for hanging out with me. The solo episode is nearly an hour long. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, veggie lover. I hope you have a Plantastic week. I'll catch you right back here next week